0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. We are in the book of James. You've landed pretty much right in the middle of the book. Um, and James, uh, if, you, if you just read that little six verses out of context, all on their own like we just did then, if you haven't been here the last... How long have we been doing James now? Like five weeks? If you haven't been here the last five weeks, uh, you might be like, whoa, this is harsh. Um, so I think it's worth saying James's heart, as he writes this letter, he's writing to people he really loves uh, and really cares about, uh, and he wants the best for them. Uh, and it comes from that place. He's not being judgmental, he's not being harsh, he's not being nasty to them. Uh, he, he really loves them. Uh, and he really wants to see them overflow with what God has given them. Uh, the good things of God flowing from them, making the world good. And our world needs to be good. Uh, I don't know if you know who this is. Hands up, if you who this is. Keep your hand up if you knew who this was a month ago. Uh, this is Ellie Carpenter, um, and this is her... Her moment uh, in the semi-final. Uh, there was a long ball through, uh, and she got there first, as you can see from that incredible action shot. Uh, but she missed the ball. Uh, the England player got the lucky bounce and put it in the back of the net. Uh, and after this moment in the semi-final this week, Ellie Carpenter's social media caught fire, and not not in a good way. Uh, it got so bad that she had to disable her Twitter. I mean, it's not called Twitter anymore. The thing we used to call Twitter, her Instagram, all, all of that. She had to get uh, off her social media and disable comments or replies or whatever they're called on that platform um, because of the abusive stuff that people went out of their way to find her online and write because they were so angry. So disappointed that their team, the Matildas, didn't make the final, and they thought it was all Ellie Carpenter's fault. I don't think it was all her fault. I don't think she thinks it was all her fault. But what is going on? Like, why do people do this? Why do people use their words in this way when they're feeling upset or angry or disappointed? Any theories? any ideas? It's hard. it's hard, isn't it? And actually, if we're like super honest with ourselves, like we might not have gone out of our way to be a troll online, but when we get upset, when we get angry, when we get frustrated, when we're disappointed, sometimes we say stuff we regret later too. And so that's kind of what James is getting at with the people that he's writing this letter to. Uh, he wants them, I think, If he knew us, I mean it's 2,000 years ago, but I think he would want us as well to know what to do with our words. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to kind of work our way through, verse by verse, these six verses. And this is the first one. Now, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I mean, that's to me, isn't it? You guys can all sit back and relax. I'm the one up the front being the teacher tonight. Um, but I think, I think there, is, there is something you can get from this. I mean, there's a lot I can get from this. I've been thinking about this all week. Uh, it's not an easy one to think about. Um, but for all of us, uh, think about who are your teachers. Uh, maybe you're into podcasts. And all those podcast presenters and all those like super smart people on your your podcast that tell you, you know, how to win at life or how to be successful or just how to be funny or how to win your fantasy football league. Uh, those people are teaching you, whether they think of themselves as teachers or not, they're your teachers. Maybe it's the books you read. Maybe it's TV shows you like to watch. Uh, maybe it's the, the influences you follow on your socials. Maybe it is... Me, or Travis, or Lewis. Lewis. Teachers are the people who teach you how to live your life. What is important, what is valuable, or what is unimportant, and what you shouldn't give your time and your energy to, or even what is bad for you that you should get rid of, you should avoid doing. And James is saying, if you take that role in someone else's life in any way, but especially if you take that role in someone's life as their Christian teacher, teaching them how to be a Christian. could be a pastor, you could be a connect group leader, you could be a youth leader, you, should, you could just be that wiser, older Christian who's, who's been around the traps and has some influence over a younger Christian who's just starting out, who doesn't really know what all this stuff is about. And they ask you a question, remember, don't become a teacher as a teacher, is going to get judged more strictly. That is to say, the more influence you have over others, the more you put yourself forward as someone in authority, the more responsible you are for what you might say to people who might listen, which kind of just makes sense when you think about it. But it gets James thinking about words and the power of words, and so he goes on to talk about horses. He says, we all stumble in many ways. That is, we all make all sorts of mistakes. Every day, we do things we wish we didn't do. We say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing. And he says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man or a complete person, the final product. Able, he says, able also to bridle his whole body. That is, to keep your whole self under control, like the bridle that thing a horse wears on their face, the bridle of a horse uh, which is attached to the reins, which allows you to control the horse. He says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Now, the first time I read this, I thought what he was saying was that you need to control what you say. But actually, if you look really carefully and closely... What he's saying here is that the, the words are the bit or the bridle. They are the thing with the control. And he's saying if you can control what you say, you are as under control as a horse with a bit and a bridle in, under the control of the rider, ready to be steered this way and that. Our words direct our lives. They make us who we are. And the good or mature person is the person who can keep their words under control so that their words don't affect the course of their life in a bad way. Do you get the distinction there? Hopefully that was clear. Um, If it isn't clear, it's okay, because James has another metaphor. A ship Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, which is, you know, talking big talk, being arrogant, being egotistical, or just generally making a really big impact. On the world, considering how small and insignificant a tongue appears to be. Uh, we think that we're going to change the world with the strength of our arms or with the speed of our legs, but it's the little tongue hidden behind your teeth. That's the thing with the power. Or another metaphor a fire. How great. A forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now we get this one. We're Australians. You know how it works, don't you? A bushfire lit by the glowing embers of an old abandoned cigarette or an old abandoned campfire. This tiny little spark. And it grows and it grows and it grows until it's completely out of control, destroying the forest. Maybe destroying people's properties, people's homes, even people's lives. Just from that one little spark. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. These are hard words, aren't they? Harsh words. Kind of scary words. They are also... Unclear words. Uh, that that last sentence there, well, that, actually the last two sentences in that translation. Bible translators, experts in ancient Greek, have written lots about that verse, verse 6. Uh, and they all argue about what they think it means and how it all works. I could take you into all kinds of a quagmire around verbs and articles and nouns that don't have articles and nouns that do and tenses and I won't bore you with all that stuff. I got bored enough reading about it during the week. What I will say uh, is that unfortunately it's hard to make like a really strong interpretive statement here and I'm going to take verse one seriously and not presume to teach you about something that I don't understand and in fact uh, a lot of people argue about who know a lot more than me. But I, I can tell, I think you can tell, that James is saying something about the destructiveness and the corruption of our words. And we've seen that, right? You've seen that, how uh, someone will say something, and they'll just say it just the wrong way. Like, they, they want to complain right? And they could do it nicely, and maybe they're even trying to do it nicely, but it comes across as really mean and really harsh and really cruel. Or maybe uh, they want to they just share with you what's going on in their world, in their life, but it ends up being gossip or spreading a rumor about someone else, talking badly about someone behind their back. Or maybe it is just their temper gets the better of them and they shout some horrible, abusive thing at someone else out of frustration, out of anger. All these things are are like a spark that lights a bushfire. These words that break people, break hearts, break minds, and actually... These words break us too. The person who speaks the words is damaged by them as well as the person who hears them and receives them. I think maybe that's what James means when he talks about the staining of the body in verse 6 there. Something about our words actually affect us. They change how we think. They change how we feel. And something that in the moment was just a brief passing thought, when you speak it out loud, it kind of solidifies. No, this is me. This is what I really feel. This is what I really think because I've said it, especially if i said it out loud to someone else. It kind of has this power all of its own that solidifies it in your mind. And that person that you were disappointed with or frustrated with on some lower level, the more you complain about them, the more you start to really hate them. And it's really hard to shake it off once you've spoken it out. And maybe if you could go back and not complain and not say it out loud, it would be easier to forgive them. I wonder. Words like these cause destruction, like the spark that causes the bushfire. If I say something bad about you, those words harm you. Those words come between us and harm us, and they even harm me, leaving a stain in me, making me a more angry person, a more bitter person, a more critical person, a less joyful, less peaceful, less happy person. And James gets this, and he wants his readers to get this. And I think that's why he's kind of scary about it. Because it it re- destroys people on all sides. So what are we going to do? What's the solution? We've identified the problem. How do you solve it? Well, uh, I want to go to Jesus. And some words from Jesus for our solution here. Uh, This is from the book of Luke, and Jesus has another metaphor. Have you had enough metaphors yet tonight? Let's do another one. This one's about fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked by a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good in his heart, produces good And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth will speak whatever is in your heart. And if your heart is full of arrogance, selfishness, hatred and so on you'll speak words of arrogance and selfishness and hatred and so on and then those destructive words will end up reinforcing that attitude in your heart making you more and more arrogant and selfish and hate-filled making you more and more bitter and unhappy Mean and cruel and criticizing and complaining and fighting and attacking other people. Bitter and twisted, spiraling down and down and down. Hang on. I thought we went to Jesus to get the solution. Where is it in there? Is it in there? Have you spotted it? What needs to change to change the words that come out? Of our mouths. Someone say it for us. Your heart. Your heart. I want to tell you a story. When I was about 17, uh, a good mate of mine, uh, I think he thought of himself as my best and closest friend. I think I probably thought of him a similar way, but I was 17 and I was kind of in my own head a lot Uh, and he took me aside one morning before school uh, and he said, Johnny can I talk to you for a minute and I was like, this is weird, that's a very grown up thing to do, we're just hanging out here and he took me aside and he said, I've noticed that you're making a lot of jokes that make other people feel uncomfortable. Jokes at other people's expense. And I don't think you realize that you're hurting people, and I think you should stop. To which I responded something like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Everyone's laughing. It's just banter. We're just having fun. We're just mucking around. It's not a big deal. Like, why are you making this weird? Chill out. It's just jokes. And then he probably said something about, I don't remember exactly, it was a long time ago, he probably said something about, look, you're a Christian, you're meant to act like a Christian, you're not talking like a Christian when you make jokes at other people's expense and are mean to them. And I probably said something like, well, you're, you're supposed to be a Christian too, why are you being mean to me? This is a lot worse than the jokes I make, you telling me how to live my life, leave me alone, or something like that. But, That conversation has stuck with me for the rest of my life. Because, in hindsight, and took me a while to realise, I think he was right. And I've continued to kind of struggle with where the line is on this. Uh, You know, because I love a good joke. I love to muck around. I like to poke fun and have a bit of banter and have a bit of fun with my mates. But I don't want to cross that line where those jokes become cruel and mean and hurtful. And I think that the line is in my heart and and in our hearts as people relating to each other. If I know that they know that I have love in my heart when we're mucking around, like with a good mate and I can see... In the twinkle in his eye or her eye, that they think this is a bit of good fun, then it's okay. But if I cross the line, I'm the first person to say, Sorry, that was too far. I take that back. To really deeply care about the person I'm joking with. And if I don't have that connection in that relationship and it's not someone I know super well, no banter. Off limits. That's my line. That's where I've come to on this. You might be different. You can kind of discern that for yourself. But I wanted to share that, that like this stuff is complicated and it takes some work to kind of work through like what is going on in my heart with this person. Because these words affect our hearts. And the only way to change a heart is by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to change our hearts. You know, Jesus says here, if we go back a slide, that the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, but also the good person out of their good treasure produces good. So if you know Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, There is in you some good there. Even if you find yourself stuck in the cycle of saying things you wish you weren't saying, and every time you open your mouth, you say something, and you think, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have talked about that person behind their back, I shouldn't have said that mean joke, it just came out, I didn't know where that came from. To be able to say, well actually, I have the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to choose to tap into the goodness in my good heart. We didn't read verses 9 and 10 uh, tonight, but I'm going to read them now. Uh, James says, With our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So he's acknowledging, even if you are a Christian, even if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, somehow we still say the wrong things. We still say words that are harmful, that hurt people. That's what he means by cursing. That make other people and even ourselves less than good. And this not... This ought not to be so. What is in your heart, thanks to the Holy Spirit, is goodness. Let him fill you to overflowing and let your words draw from that well. In a second, we're going to do a little practical application exercise thing uh, but I thought I'd give you a, just a few more words of inspiration uh, from the book of Ephesians now we jumped around a little bit tonight um, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians uh, says all these good things really practical advice about good words and bad words and I've highlighted the good words bits uh, to inspire you, because what we're going to do uh, is we're going to practice saying good things to someone else, right here tonight. Anyone feeling a bit awkward about this already? It's okay. We've got a good a good process. Um, up the back. Um, if I can have a couple of people help me, do you want to help me? Grab a friend, maybe. Um, up the back. Uh, I've got these little pieces of paper, and there's some pencils up there too. Uh, and you can write on the piece of paper. Something good for someone else. Something that's going to encourage them, something that's going to empower them, something that's going to build them up in who they are. If you can think of someone in this room tonight, or maybe not in this room tonight, someone you know uh, that God's put on your heart, that you want to say, I've seen this in you, or I really admire this about you, or like, I wish I could learn more about this thing from th- that you have that I wish I had more of. Something that's going to encourage them and build them up. Something that's going to be uh, giving grace to them. Something that you can thank them for. Uh, something that is good and right and true. Uh, I think the best way to learn how to tap into that goodness in your heart so that you have good words come out is to just practice it. To make that your habit. Uh, And over time, I've found, bit by bit, and it's a slow process, (laughs) you will get more of a reflex for this. That when when something happens and you see something and you want to say something good, the good will overflow out of you. Just like that reflex when you get frustrated and you want to (laughs) curse someone and say something mean. We can actually learn the, the, this new reflex to say something good uh, when we see something good. So, grab your little bit of paper, write something for someone else, and then later on tonight you can deliver it to them. And if they're not in this room tonight and they're really on your heart, I don't know, write them a text message or something. You'll figure it out. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 5.00 p.m. or on our website at www.nvbc.info.